Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober, covering lifestyles in the world of real food. I've said that butter goes with any food I like. My guest today shares that sentiment. Michael Tashman founded Churn Foods, which crafts flavored grass-fed butter. Michael, welcome to the program. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you on. I think your product is something that I've been saying for a while. Any food I like... I could put butter with, and when I saw you at Fancy Foods about a month ago, I was blown away. Yeah, I mean, I share the same sentiment, and I'm glad that you do as well. I mean, butter is such a versatile product that, you know, can be eaten. I guess you could eat it on its own, but when you start to cook with it and you're elevating your proteins and your pastas and your vegetables, it really takes your cooking up a notch. So I'm looking forward to diving into kind of our background with you and looking forward to it. Certainly. So how did you come up with the idea for churn in the beginning? So my background is as a chef. I worked in fine dining for a while during college and when I graduated. And that's where I kind of got this formal education in butter and I was cooking with it and understanding it more so than, you know, when I was a kid, I would spread it on my bread and I understood it more to be as a spreadable condiment. But it's so much more than that. And so I was understanding how to cook with butter. Simultaneously, I would see this huge gap in the market with how it was represented. It's represented even to this day by big dairy. They dominate the market. They're making commodity products. There's very little variety and innovation in the space. You're finding your plain, you're unsalted. It's typically American style, which has a lower butterfat content, which kind of means lower flavor. Or you'll find your European style with a higher butterfat. But even to this day, there's so much room for innovation in butter and really in the whole dairy space. But obviously, we're focused in butter. And going back to when I was a chef, I was playing around with, with butter, obviously, when working in kitchens, making compound butters, making butter, cooking with butter. And so I was seeing this in retail, and I saw this huge potential for a brand to come in and really do something different. And it was both seeing that potential in butter and also seeing it as just making compound butters in kitchens, in my own kitchen at home, and seeing that there really wasn't a flavored butter company that was nationwide. To this day, we have a few competitors. Largely, they focus on regional distribution, and maybe they have grass-fed butter, or they don't, and they have different flavors. But we're kind of unique in the space where we have organic grass-fed butter, so it's the highest quality butter that we can source. And we're really focused on the chef-crafted ingredients and processes that we do in-house. So something that makes us unique is that, for example, our most popular flavors are garlic and shallot butter. And we make garlic confit and shallot confit in-house. So what that is is we slow cook garlic and shallots in olive oil submerged for about three hours. And that's something that, you know, you learn as a chef. And you never see a confit product on the market just because it's so labor-intensive and it's really difficult to scale, which, you know, we're kind of hitting that now and trying to scale the business and grow our distribution. But there's such a lack for what we're doing in the space. We like to call it the chef to shelf movement of bringing exactly the kind of process that, you know, a chef in a fine dining restaurant would make this product 
and bring it to the national level. And so I just saw this huge potential in the space and a few years go by and sit on the idea. I played around with recipes and I started it right before the pandemic finally because I felt like I just wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't actually see this through. And so that's kind of where the idea came from. I love it. You talked earlier about eating butter as a child. As a child, were you fortunate to always have butter? Do you sometimes have margarine too? Well, that's the thing. I'm glad you asked that. I was a 90s kid. So margarine was kind of in its heyday, right? So I had margarine all the time. And I didn't understand the difference as a kid between margarine and regular butter. And I don't think actually a lot of people did because that's really what the FDA was feeding us was sugar is fine, fat is bad. And so I would have margarine and I would have bread, whatever my parents bought, but I loved it. I love spreading it on bread. I love bread so much. Sourdough, fresh bread is one of my favorite things to eat. And so I kind of had both growing up. Same with me. And really until right before I started the blog and the podcast, I was under the belief that margarine was better, that butter was bad. But as we've learned, no, margarine, it's not a real food. It's fake. And butter has so many health benefits to it. Right, absolutely. I was the country crock kid. I don't know if you ever had country crock, but I loved that big tub and I would just go to town on that. Yeah. <laughs> margarine sales have actually been on the decline for several decades now and butter sales are up. So do you think that this is the right time certainly to introduce a product like the one that you have? Yeah, I think it is. You know, people are being exposed to the health benefits of butter. The media, you see it in diets that have trended like the keto diet, paleo diet, macro diet, you're seeing people talk about butter and it helps people see it through a different lens than what the FDA told us for decades that fat is bad. Now we're really understanding that actually not all fat is bad and it can have a lot of health benefits like your omega-3 fats, your vitamins A through K. I mean, butter, if you have grass-fed butter, it has like double the amount of those healthy omega-3 fats than an olive oil or an avocado oil. It's still a double-edged sword in that it's a fat. So you have to have the right diet in order for your body to really process that correctly. And that's, I think, what contributes to the rise of those keto diets. But as long as you have it in moderation, it can help with cognitive health, immune health. I mean, there's so many benefits to grass-fed butter. And you also talked about how you use organic grass-fed butter, and that's very important to me. What do you look for in terms of where you source your butter? Yeah, so that's a good question. We primarily look for quality and that flavor, right? So I talked a bit about the butterfat content. So butter, typically an American standard is 80% butterfat. The balance of that is basically leftover milk solids in the churn process. But we go for that European style, which is at least 82%. Ours is 84%. So it hits the butterfat content. It's grass-fed and organic, which is very important to us, not only for the health benefits, but for the flavor. And so those are really the things that we look at primarily. And then as far as other things, I mean, it comes down to price, right? So the idea is to really match up the best quality with what we have available to us. And we are lucky in that we are based in LA and we have great butter all around us in California. So we work directly with a farm in Northern California that happens to be one of the few grass-fed and organic manufacturers of butter in the state. And the reason being is that it's difficult in the winter months to support the cows on only grass to have the use of pesticides. So you'll typically find grass-fed butter that's not organic or organic butter that's not grass-fed. So there are only a few manufacturers out there, so we don't really have our pick of the litter, but it is important to us to have both. And, you know, we're lucky in that we are locals, relatively local. So 
we don't get killed on the freight bringing the product down from NorCal to SoCal. Whereas if we were to source it from the Midwest, there's great butter in the Midwest. It's just we would have to incur a lot of those freight charges trying to bring that product from the Midwest, whether it's in Wisconsin or there's dairies in the Northeast. Bringing that product all the way to the West Coast would be pretty expensive. We talk about the importance of butter over margarine and the importance of it being grass-fed and organic. So now that we've talked about the ways that churn is sustainable, let's get into just the product of churn itself and talk about the different flavors that you offer. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. That's one of my favorite things to talk about. So we have nine different flavors right now. Our most popular is our garlic and shallot which has the in-house made garlic confit and shallow confit. And that one I love really pairing with just about anything. It's our most versatile butter. You can put it on a steak. You could put it on a sandwich, on vegetables, fish, pastas. I love putting it in Alfredo sauce. Incredibly versatile. Your garlic butter, that kind of garlic flavor, right? So people relate to it there. But it's also people can understand garlic butter maybe more so than the other butters. So that's why in retail, like a Gelson's, for example, it stands out more than, I get, I'll run through the list, more than our miso butter, for example, which happens to be my favorite. It's, it has red miso and our garlic confit. And that one's a bit more niche. It's fantastic with seafood. You put it on a steak. I love it with vegetables like broccoli, but people don't necessarily understand miso the way they do garlic butter. Another flavor of ours is cacio pepe, which is probably our second most popular flavor. It has uh, fresh grated pecorino romano cheese and parmesan reggiano. We source those directly from Italy. And then other than the cheese, it has a ton of that black pepper that you come to expect when you have that cacio pepe pasta. So that one I love with pastas. I put it on vegetables. I love it on broccoli. It's fantastic on cabbage too, whether you're grilling cabbage or you throw it in stir fry with some green beans. That one's really versatile. Then our black garlic is one of the newer ones that has black garlic, which is fermented garlic and a bit of balsamic and sea salt. That one is fantastic on a steak. It's probably my go-to. That and the truffle butter on a steak, like a ribeye and a cast iron pan. Got to have the black garlic. The truffle one is our newest one. If you love truffle, it's incredibly truffle forward. You're getting an explosion of that truffle flavor. It has preserved truffles. It has this truffle carpaccio as a porcini cream, which we source from Italy. That's basically a cream made of porcini mushrooms and extra virgin olive oil. It has truffle salt, truffle balsamic. It's incredible on the steaks. I love it on pastas. I did a pasta last night with it. Risotto. It's great on vegetables, pretty versatile. And truffle does really well because people, truffle butter, people understand. And then you get to the pesto butter and the bruschetta. Those are great with pastas, with vegetables. Pesto we make in-house. Everything we did in-house. But pesto especially is really good. I mean, we're using fresh basil, walnut, those two cheeses that are in the kachu pepe butter. We put those fresh grated as well in the pesto. It has some garlic. It has a garlic-infused olive oil. So basically, in the garlic confit process, you get this delicious garlic oil that's the byproduct of the confit making. So we try to utilize that in our different flavors. So we put that back into the pesto butter as well as the bruschetta butter. The bruschetta butter has sun-dried tomatoes. It has that garlic confit. It has the garlic oil. It has fresh basil. It has this double-concentrated tomato paste that we source from Italy. Those, you know, I love putting on pastas. You could put the bruschetta on salmon. It's delicious on fish. Then the everything butter and the maple cinnamon butters, those are more for kind of simply spreading, you know, everything butter. It's just like your everything bagel seasoning. 
you put it on your bagel, it cook eggs in it, and the maple cinnamon butter has grade A maple syrup from Vermont, a touch of cinnamon and sea salt. It's just the right balance between sweet and salty. It's not overwhelmingly sweet, and it's great on pancakes and waffles and toast. I have a maple cinnamon latte. I love putting in my coffee because you get that grass-fed butter in the coffee, and it's delicious, and it helps you focus. I'm having one right now as we speak. You do it full bulletproof style? Exactly. Yeah, it's the bulletproof coffee. I don't put the MCT oil in it. I found that it kind of affected my stomach, but I just do the maple cinnamon butter and coffee and delicious. And I try to do a little intermittent fast in the mornings when I have it, and it kind of helps my brain focus a bit more than maybe regular coffee with oat milk or something like that. A diverse variety of flavors across the palate. My personal favorite, I would say, would be the truffle butter. I think that's amazing. But all of them are great. I was blown away really with all of them when I tasted them at Winter Fancy Food. One of the ones I thought was interesting was the black garlic because you said you fermented the garlic and in addition to butter, <laughs> a thing I'm big on this podcast, are fermented foods. So what made you decide to ferment the garlic? Well, we don't ferment that in-house. I mean, that would take months, if not years, to develop that kind of process. We source it from a company that specializes in that. But the process of making black garlic is you basically slow cook it for about a month at a really low temp. And so the garlic really concentrates in flavor. If some people think it's like a different type of garlic, it's not. It's just regular garlic that's slow cooked at that low temperature. And so you get this end result that's really sweet and umami, and it kind of has like this tamarind-like consistency. And it goes really well with savory foods with fatty meat. That's why I say with the black garlic and the butter and a touch of that balsamic that gives it like the right amount of acidity to balance everything out. Delicious on a steak. You could put it on any protein. I, I put it on fish all the time. It's great with like a firmer fish, like a swordfish and vegetables too. So that's kind of the background on the black garlic. And I know at the beginning you talked about your original one, the garlic and shallot and how that originated out of working as a chef. How'd you come up with the idea for all these other flavors? So... It's a bit of trial and error. I think it comes down to your palate when you're doing this R&D work. And so I think I'm fortunate enough that I developed my palate while working in restaurants and going to culinary school. And I kind of know what to look for as far as balancing out your savory, sweet, acids, umami flavors. So you got to be conscious of that, but also you can't do everything. You can't please everybody. So I try to look at what's trending. So... For me, the everything flavor, that's trending. Cacio Pepe, it's trending. Miso, I think people are more so aware of miso certainly now than they were 10 years ago. And I personally love miso. And I think it's misrepresented and misunderstood. So you're thinking about the trends. You're thinking about what would be unique that chefs would be into. So we try to not do things like that other companies do. Like we're not going to do like a chipotle lime butter or a simple garlic and herb butter. We may take that in a garlic and herb butter, and we'll put our own twist on it with the shallots, right? We make shallot confit in-house. The idea behind the garlic and shallot is really so many recipes, when you're learning how to cook professionally, start with garlic and shallots. So that was very much at the core of the concept of this product is going to enable you to cook like a chef without all the work associated with it. You don't have to peel your garlic. You don't have to peel your shallots. You don't have to dice up your garlic and shallots. You don't have to break down fresh vegetables or herbs. It's all in the butter. So that's really the idea of coming up with flavors is trying to stay on trend, looking at what chefs would be into, and really 
doing something that you can't typically recreate easily at home. All the time people tell me, and I understand this feedback of, oh, I can just do this in my kitchen. Like, I'll just put garlic and into my butter and that's just like your product. And I understand that. I mean, typically what drives that is sometimes the price. I mean, this isn't a cheap product. We typically retail it at $8.99 or $9.99. But we're not just putting garlic into butter. We're doing things like the confit in-house. We're breaking down fresh herbs like basil and parsley. And when you add up all those things in your cart, when you're shopping in a grocery store, they add up. And so we're doing that all for you. We don't skip any steps. Like I said, our approach to this and our processes are exactly like how a chef in a restaurant is going to make this butter. We don't skip any steps. We're not using flash frozen vegetables or herbs like other companies do. Everything is fresh. And so you factor all that into your research process. And obviously you're looking at what's really feasible as far as your distribution resources and price. So like a truffle butter, for example, it's priced higher because of truffle, but we're not going to put out a product, presumably that's going to be $50 unless the market would kind of dictate that. So all those things kind of factor into that process. Mm-hmm. Interesting information about how you come up with the process of all of that. So we've talked about the current flavors that you have. What are some future flavors that you're considering? I thought you would ask that. <laughs> I was debating whether I wanted to let the cat out of the bag. We have a few flavors coming up. I'll say that our next flavor is going to be a Calabrian chili and honey butter. We get a lot of requests for a spicy butter. And that was kind of my approach to that is to not make a chipotle butter that may exist in the market or you may be able to make easily at home or you may think that you make it at home. But Calabrian chili, it's, it's kind of a unique product in that the awareness is there and it's on trend, but it's not too on trend to where you find it everywhere. It's just like a unique flavor and it's Italian pepper that it's really delicious and it's a little smoky. And so pairing that with a little bit of honey to make it, it will really balance it out a bit. That's probably going to be our next flavor. And then we have other flavors that we're thinking about doing like chimichurri, which obviously would have a multitude of different uses. You put it on a steak or vegetable. But other than those, other main focus is really on different packaging sizes. We really want to come out with a smaller package that would lower the price in retail to hopefully like a $5.99. And then when you're hitting that price, rather than a $9.99, you're getting a lot more of that trial where people aren't gun-shy to put it in their cart with little brand awareness that we have. And oftentimes we're put in a butter section and we have very little control over where it goes. So sometimes we're next to the, I can't believe it's not butter, where there's no consistency of the product. It's price prohibitive and the packaging is different in a tub versus as a block. And most people, they typically buy their butter in sticks. So there are a lot of those barriers that we find in retail as far as the merchandising goes that are a bit preventative and challenges as we grow. With the whole desire for people to want to have a plant-based diet, do you find that more and more of a problem? Because I see that with not just with butter, but for instance, you see these fake meats like Beyond and Impossible. And I remember last year at Expo West, a lot of these exhibitors that had real meats, people would come up to them and they'd have to ask, are you guys a real meat? Because they saw so many of the plant-based meats all around there. Yeah, I think it's certainly like on trend to be plant-based. I think it can be healthy if you're eating whole foods and ingredients, but I think it gets a bit dicey when you're eating a lot of impossible meat or beyond meat that is loaded with artificial ingredients or GMO ingredients that aren't really intended to have for your body to really process. So on that end, I mean, I'm not plant-based, but 
I understand those who do it for environmental reasons, but as far as health benefits, I think when you're substituting grass-fed beef with Impossible Burger, there's no real argument there. I mean, so I see it on other products, you know, with plant-based dairy. I mean, when you're using nuts, I see the health benefits and I think plant-based cheese has come a long way. I think there's a lot of great innovation in that space. I would certainly agree that, yeah, for health benefits, real meat is the way to go. The plant-based meats are very processed. They're not real foods. And margarine is the same way. And I had on Scott Lively, author of For the Love of Beef, on my show a couple of years ago. And he was saying how he doesn't really see the plant-based meats as something which is taking away from people eating meat. It mostly appeals to people that already were vegetarian, vegan, or flexitarian. He kind of likened it to the kosher symbol that you see on labels. It's this thing that's done in the industry for really a small group of people. And I would think that margarine is really the same thing. We talked about earlier that sales of margarine have been down for a long time now and sales of butter going up. So although I know that you can sometimes confuse consumers when your product is found next to the margarine, the I can't believe it's not butter or the country crock in the supermarkets. I think ultimately, it's not really a matter of having to compete with them, though, and that there's certainly a market for butter, and the people who buy butter, they're not going to be converted to ditching their butter for the margarines. Right. I would agree with that. But I think that more so is relevant in the natural chains, your higher-end grocery stores, where there is a bit more, perhaps, education on the consumer side as to what they're looking for our expectations, and it's not as price sensitive. But when you're in a Kroger or an Albertsons, people largely, they're buying on price. And so whether they're educated on what's healthy or not for them, that's where your products can be price sensitive if you can't get to a certain price that they're comfortable with. So that's where if we were to be in an Albertsons, for example, we could be at $9.99. Certainly not when we're next to, I can't believe it's not butter at whatever it is, $2.99, $3.99. So That's just what I would add on that front. It's a very good point you bring up. It also brings up the point that we are seeing more of products like yours at conventional grocery markets because 10, 20 years ago, you didn't see too many grass-fed products at these regular markets. Do you find that more of your share in supermarkets is at natural grocers or at conventional supermarkets? Well, we're definitely more on the natural side. However, I recently learned that like at Bristol Farms, which we've been in for about a year and a half, is considered a conventional supermarket. So I'm not quite sure where the line is divided. But like I said, our containers, with the amount of product that's inside, it's very hard when you factor in distribution in the middle and then the retailer's margin to get it to below 9.99. It often takes working thin on our side, on the distributor side, and the retail side. And getting all those three in line is very difficult. So that's what usually gets our products 999. So that's where if we have a smaller container, looking at a three ounce container versus a five and a half ounce container, you're getting the same product and you're getting, hopefully we can hit a 599 or 499. So you're getting the same kind of price per pound or price per ounce in this case, but it's much better suited for retail expansion in the Kroger's, the Walmart's, the Publix's of the world at that price, just because it'll get more people to try it if it's lower. I can see how Bristol Farms would be considered conventional supermarket. I think it's kind of a hybrid. It's something that I would mainly label gourmet, which is something that's kind of in between a natural food store and then 
your conventional store. It's similar to a place like Gelson's for those of us who are in L.A. will know what I'm referencing. And for those outside of L.A. will have no idea what I'm talking about. Yes, (laughs) but I think the main thing that comes to mind with all of this is, like I said, we are seeing more natural products in regular supermarkets. But from what you're saying, it seems like there's still somewhat of a challenge because a lot of people that shop those supermarkets don't know everything about all of this. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a supply and demand issue. So that covers the demand of what are consumers at those bigger chains looking for? Are they looking at price? Are they looking at quality of the product and ingredients? The truth probably lies somewhere in between. But then it comes down to distribution. And it's just very difficult for smaller brands to get into those stores with the kind of barriers that exist in distribution. Going back to the flavors. So butter, as I've explained, I can eat with any food I like. Another food that I can combine with Anything that I love is bacon. Have you thought of a butter and bacon flavor? (laughs) You know, I love that in my own kitchen, the butter and bacon. I do that all the time. But then if you're trying to manufacture that, it's kind of a nightmare because then you got to get the USDA involved in that whole nother ballgame of trying to pair a meat with dairy. It's a huge barrier that we would have to cross. But you could certainly put, you know, I love putting the maple cinnamon on bacon to get that little sweet note in that bacon and you put it in a sandwich or you can have it on its own. But I love doing that. Well, there you go. You've given a lot of suggestions for pairings that I know that I'll be trying after this show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And obviously, I have a lot of butter in my diet, but I don't know about everybody else. Would you say that we need more butter in our diets? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think certainly grass-fed butter with the amount of the healthy omega-3 fats and the vitamins that exist in the butter, it's really beneficial to have. It helps with your brain health and your immune health. Like I said before, you shouldn't have too much of it. You have it in moderation. But as long as you're doing that, it's really beneficial. And there are many great things that you can put the churn butter on, but you think some people are, do you yourself ever want to just eat the butter itself on a spoon? Oh, yeah. Honestly, I do that all the time with the maple cinnamon, the truffle. When truffle's in my fridge, I'll just go to town on it. On some bread, you can eat it by itself. Same thing with the cacio pepe, because it has so much of that cheese. You can just eat it very easily on its own. And in addition to future flavors that you're working on for churn, Could you see churn expanding into products beyond butter? Yeah, I think our whole concept of the chef-to-shelf element in, you know, CPG could see us moving into, at least in the dairy space, ice cream. I love ice cream, and I thought about that, of making an ice cream. I think our name, churn, would fit well with coming out with with some ice cream flavors. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and maybe some shelf-stable foods. Sometimes I regret coming into the refrigerated space because there's just so many challenges that I was naive back in the day. But right now, we're obviously focused on flavored butters and coming out with new flavors. We have a lot of room to grow there and establish the brand. With the wonderful flavors of butter you've come up with, I can only imagine what great ideas for ice cream you'd come up with. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I love ice cream probably my favorite dessert and i love brands like salt and straw and jenny's i kind of see churn as being similar in the way that they come out flavors and so ice cream would be an amazing thing to be able to come out with for churn and like your butter where you want to do unique flavors not the ones everyone are doing i imagine your ice cream would be the same way of coming up with ice cream flavors that we aren't used to seeing like jenny's i love them i'm from ohio so a big fan of them oh yeah yeah, I love Jenny's. I love Salt and Straw. I like McConnell's and Van Lewin. There's so many 
ice cream brands. And that's the thing is there's been so much innovation in the space in the last 10, 20 years that you just have to compete with all those brands. And those brands are doing incredible work on different flavors. So, you know, maybe one day, let's see. Actually, speaking of Jenny's, did you have a chance to try their maple soaked pancakes flavor that they had a couple of weeks ago? You know, I haven't. Where did you try it? I tried it at the Los Feliz shop because that's near where I live. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I heard about that and I definitely want to try that. I really love all their flavors. The peaches and cream one is great. I think that goat cheese and raspberry is fantastic and it's pretty unique. They have that everything bagel flavor that obviously it's savory and what other butter company is doing savory ice cream, but... I love their whole approach. Me too, yeah. Well, the maple soak pancakes was amazing, and that did have butter in there as one of the ingredients for it, so that's probably why I bring it up. But yeah, I love their limited edition ones because I'm excited they've got a Ted Lasso biscuits flavor coming up just for the premiere of that show. Oh, yeah. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so they have lots of great flavors. I love their Buckeye one, of course, with the whole Ohio theme, and, of course, their classic salted caramel. Yeah, that's the most famous. Right, so it'd be great what we could see Churn doing with the ice cream space because there is still a need for more grass-fed ice creams. I did an article on it last year, and there are a few, but there aren't a lot. I mean, you have a lot of ones that are sold regionally. I've seen some that have tried selling nationally, but then have focused more on the ice cream shops. Right. Yeah, there's so much competition in that frozen aisle that it's so difficult to get in that aisle, and so it prevents smaller brands that have innovation to get in. That's why, I mean, you see so much kind of on the ground in the streets, little ice cream shops that certainly in LA we have all over the place. Right. There's a place called Ginger's. I don't know if you're familiar with it near me in Culver City. They've got a ton of flavors. Really, really, really good stuff. Yeah. In addition to the ones that you find in the stores, there are great ice cream shops. And actually for July National Ice Cream Month this year, I'm going to be releasing an article about the best grass-fed ice cream shops in LA that you can find because I think it's important people know where they can go if they want to get good scoop of grass-fed ice cream. Yeah, look forward to that article. I'd love to know where to get that grass-fed ice cream. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's going to be a fun one to write. Could you see yourself also going into the ice cream shop or perhaps a butter-tasting shop business? Uh, Butter-tasting shop. I've thought about that. I think when we have a bit more brand awareness, that could certainly work. Right now, that would just be a huge capital expense that we don't necessarily have right now. Got to focus on other things. But I think down the line, I think that would be really cool. I think pairing it into somewhat of a restaurant where you can do butter tastings, but also show people and educate how to cook with it. Certainly there's something like that down the line that would be really interesting. Oh, I think so too. So there'd also be sort of an educational component, kind of a cooking school element to it. Yeah, absolutely. I've thought a lot about one of the things that the philanthropic side on churn that I've really wanted to get into is to help kids with mental disabilities, whether on the spectrum, to cook. And so I've long wanted to incorporate that somehow into churn. So maybe down the line, get out of a cooking school where you're cooking kids with mental disabilities and mental health disabilities. You're helping them cook and educate them on butter and all things cooking. That would be amazing. I'm seeing that with a lot of products in the natural food world, that it's also important to give back as far as charities and education and programs like that. So that would be wonderful if Churn could get into doing that. Yeah, it would. We talked a little bit earlier about a couple of the different stores where people can get churn. Let's go into a little more detail now. If people are looking to buy churn, where can they find it? So the best place as far as nationwide is through our website or Amazon. We ship directly to you everywhere nationwide, usually within two days. And that's really the majority of our business is e-com. And then locally in our own backyard, we have distribution with Bristol Farms, 
Gelson, Erwan, that was our first account. We go as far east as Central Market in Texas. And then we actually recently just started doing these, they're called road shows with Costco, where you basically set up a booth for four days, Thursday through Sunday, and you're they're open to close and you're selling product. And so that's been huge for us just with awareness and volume the last about three to four months we've been doing that. And so we really are only there for four days at a certain location and we're doing it in LA region. So for example, we'll go to the Culver City Costco or this week we're at the Torrance Costco and we're there Thursday through Sunday. So we typically either sell out or get close to it, but sometimes there is leftover inventory after the fact. So when there is leftover inventory, we try to announce that on our Instagram and our email newsletter that there is inventory left at Costco, but it's not within the whole region yet. It's kind of a way that brands can get into Costco that are smaller. You kind of earn your stripes and you do these roadshows and it's really hard work, but you do it with the intention of getting momentum to hopefully get an order where you'd be in all 60 stores in the LA region, for example. I'm going to have to make it to one of these Costco setups that you have so I can get some of your butter if you have any extra at the end. Yeah, come on by. We're at Torrance this week. The LA region is pretty big in that it stretches from, I'm not sure exactly where in the valley, maybe Ventura, all the way down to Orange County. So we're traveling sometimes 70 miles to Costco. Next week, we're at Cypress, which is kind of near Long Beach. But it's still, it's just a great opportunity for us to get awareness. And with the way their whole distribution model sets up, it enables us to get to a really competitive price point. So with all that in mind, it's a really good opportunity for us. Sounds like the perfect opportunity. We're just about out of time, but before we wrap, is there anything else you'd like to let listeners know about Churn Foods? I don't think, I think we covered a lot of great topics. Appreciate your questions, Aaron. I think hopefully in a few years, we'll have nationwide retail distribution where people can access it at their local grocery store rather than having to purchase it online. Obviously, I mean, the convenience is great online, but we recognize the fact that it's a bit price prohibitive and not everybody does their grocery shopping online. So it's not really our way that we're going to scale this brand nationwide, but it's certainly a great way to grow the community and we do it directly and we can control the education, whether it's through an advertisement or organically through social media or through a newsletter so that it helps people understand the product more so than it would when it's sitting in a grocery store next to the I can't believe it's not butter. So I just appreciate those who know about churn and are part of the small little churn family that we have. And hopefully we can grow our distribution to where we can get this thing into everyone's grocery stores and get everybody cooking like chefs at home. That's our goal. I'd love to see that too. So before we go, let the listeners know the website for churn so they can go on to learn more information about it, and perhaps even buy their favorite flavor. Yeah, so it's churnfoods.com. You can buy it directly from there. We're also on Amazon. So if you type in churn, you'll find us. And we have all nine flavors on the website for Amazon. And then Amazon and a website as well. We do different packs, three packs, two packs. So it's churnfoods.com. Wonderful. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you having me. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of the show are released every Wednesday. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore on your favorite podcast site or app. You can also listen to all of my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find the recipes from the guests I interview, plus all my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed.